Hey, good morning. I first of all want to apologize up front. And my apology is to those who might be in a hurry today. And the reason is because I'm not in a hurry today. What are y'all chattering about, ladies? Tish, my wife, namesake's wife. That y'all need a snack? Well, FYI, I'm preaching next Sunday too, Lord willing. So bring you a snack. Just in case the wind is long. I don't know if the wind is going to blow long today, but I'm I'm thankful that Pastor Mike has given me the liberty to do a a two-part or to preach back-to-back because it allows me not to feel rushed or in a hurry, and I don't think what I'm going to share needs to be rushed as such. Amen? Amen. So as he's indicated, this is Black History Month, and usually uh, he allows me at least once out of the month to share a, a message centered around black history, and one of the, the challenges with doing this is while at the same time talking about history, to also stay within the biblical lane, uh, to not drift so far that where you just get an exclusive history message, but but not <clears throat> ground this in some way from a theological perspective, and that's what I am endeavoring to do today. But by way of of just reminding you. That Black History Month was started by who? Let me see how well you remember. Say it loud. Carter G. Woodson. And if you remember last year, I preached a message called They Paid Your Tuition. And it was centered around key African-American uh, ancestors who, who were Christian, who did a lot of work to, to pave the way for us being where we are today, hence a call that they paid your tuition. They paved the way. They made it possible for us to be where we are today. And Carter G. Woodson was and is one of those, those luminaries, one of those dignitaries in our history who helped pave the way. And he's the one that has, has given to us, who has bequeathed to us this thing called Black History Month. It started out as Black History Week. And just by way of quick reminder, Carter G. Woodson was born in 1885 uh, to former slaves in Canton, New, Jer- in New Canton, Virginia. He graduated from Berea College in 1903 with a bachelor's degree in literature. He then went on to the University of Chicago and then went on to become the second black person to earn a Ph.D. in history from what university? Say it loud. Say it loud. Harvard. Harvard. Who was the first? W.B. Du Bois. In 1926, Woodson proposed and launched the annual February observance of Negro History Week, which became Black History Month in 1976. His goal was to make the history of black people both visible and respected 
because one of his professors claimed that, quote, the Negro had no history. And I, you gave the same response last year, in case you want to know how you responded. You, you did the same. <laughs> they did the exact same. It's almost like I'm preaching last year. Yeah, welcome to your world. The exact same bemoaning. Say, hmm, wow. Did he literally? So, so he wanted to make sure that everybody understood that the Negro, which is a term that was used for, for black people during that era. Uh, we've had several different titles or labels, uh, Negro being one of them. And he wanted everybody to know, not just black people, but others to know that we indeed had a history. Amen? Amen. He chose February to honor Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass because both of them were born in the month of February. And it should stand the reason why he chose Abraham Lincoln because he was considered the emancipator. And of course, Frederick Douglass was one of the greatest abolitionist, abolitionist leader in our history. Frederick Douglass, one of the greatest minds that, that walked this planet. And, uh, and if you've not read any of Frederick Douglass's work, I, I highly recommend that you read about Frederick Douglass. He was uh, an incredible mind, man way ahead of his, his time. And, and I also personally would throw the likes of, of Booker T. Washington in with them, but I'm not going to debate who your favorite African-American is. I just have my favorites. And those guys stand head and shoulders over of um, many others. As I thought about what I was going to focus on today, as I stated earlier, I wanted to try to stay as connected to Scripture as I, as I possibly could. And as I prayed and thought about it, I began to think about uh, what is happening around the world in terms of the move of God's spirit, where, where God is working, where God is moving. And, and, and it just really dawned on me, or I should say dawned on me, but, but, but it, it drew my attention to doing some, some research and, and discovered that, that God's spirit is moving most significantly and most notably on the continent of Africa. Christianity is probably... Uh, it is the place where Christianity is growing the fastest and it's on the continent of Africa. And, and I don't think it's by accident because of, of the role that, that Africa played uh, from the very outset in the very beginning of God's redemptive plan of redeeming humanity. And so, if, David, if you guys would put that slide up, I, I want to talk to you uh, over the next two Sundays around this subject that you see on the screen called Africa in Redemptive History. Africa in Redemptive History. And I want to show you the significant role that the continent of Africa played in God's redemptive plan. As you well know, in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and plunged us into this phase of, of existence called the fall. Uh, but in response to that, God enacted his plan of redeeming humanity. And that plan of redeeming humanity ultimately culminated with the, the work 
the person and work of Jesus Christ, but that's not where it began. Uh, the plan of redemption obviously started in the garden when God told Adam and Eve that, 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 that he was going to um, uh, crush the, the head of Satan. But in earnest, God's plan of redemption went from that promise to Adam and Eve to a man named Abraham. And God used Abraham to begin this, this work of redemption in, in earnest. But, but before we get to Abraham, I want to lay a little bit of the foundations to help you to understand the significant role that the continent of Africa uh, played in redemptive history. Oftentimes, this gets kind of overshadowed. Is not a lot of attention is not played to that, and as a result, you have a generation of young people who who question Christianity. You have people questioning whether or not Christianity is is the quote unquote the natural religion of, of black people. You have people come on the scenes to say, well, Christianity is the, is the religion of the oppressor. That the natural religion of the black man is Islam, and that we need to ditch. Uh, Christianity and, and, and go and, and worship uh, 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 Allah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so a whole lot of people are confused about the role that Africa played. And, um, and, and of course, as you well know, studying history, Africa used to be called the dark continent. It was called the dark continent because historians wanted to pick this idea somehow that Africa was cloaked in ignorance and darkness and that, that there were nothing more than savages running around in Africa. And, of course, we, we saw a lot of this depicted on television years ago, those of us who are old enough to remember where you had Tarzan, where, where you had all the ignorant Africans running around, and you had a white man running around with, with loincloth on who could conquer all of the animals and, and wrestle with alligators and, and et cetera. And it paints the, the Africans in a very negative light. And so for a long time, Africa has been dubbed the dark continent, and, and people have to go to Africa to save the savages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now if you look at this picture on the screen, this picture is on the front of the newest edition of Newsweek magazine. And that picture, the title of the article, the feature article is called Black China. And the subheading, Pastor Mike, is basically they're asking the question, is Nigeria poised to be the next superpower on the economic scene. And I kind of winced at it because it's suggesting that there have never been any superpowers in Africa before. Because, but it's an interesting article nonetheless. It talks about the population in Nigeria and how the population of Nigeria will soon eclipse the population of the United States. And, and the economy of Nigeria. And so, so, so Africa is poised now to play a role that Africa used to play in terms of world dominance, especially in the ancient world. So if you take your Bibles, I'd like to direct your attention to Genesis chapter 10. Now, the guys will have this on the screen. I want to direct you to what's called the Table of Nations to kind of lay a foundation so you can understand the role that Africa 
played in God's plan of redemption. And I want you to look, beginning in verse 6, is on the, the screen. And by way of quick background, you know that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're the ones who entered the ark. The Bible says there were eight people in all who entered the ark when God decided to destroy the world. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives entered the ark. And when they came out of the ark, God gave them the same decree that he had given Adam in the beginning. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And it was from Noah's three sons that humanity became repopulated after the flood. Genesis chapter 10 begins with the the lineage of Japheth. And then in verse 6, it begins with the lineage of Ham. And this is where I like to begin reading in verse 6 of chapter 10. And it says that the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizarim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Ramah, and Saptika. The sons of Ramah, Seba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom, of Nimrod's kingdom, were Babylon, Eric, Akkad, and Kalnia in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh. Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Mizaram was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtahites, Pathrusites, Cathlusites, from whom the Philistines came, and Captorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Havites, Jebusites. Amurites, Gergesites, Havites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemurites, Hamathites, and a whole bunch of other Ikes. <laughs> Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gear as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasa. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Now, go to the next slide, please. I want you to see here that these are, from this diagram, you see the descendants of Ham. All total, it's over 30 clans. Thirty nations came out of Ham. And it is generally believed and generally held that that the nations that dominated what we call Africa and other parts of the ancient world came from Ham, the Hamites. And as you can see, it says that of the three, the first four sons of Ham, the first one's name is Cush. Say Cush. Cush. His name in the Bible is also called Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Not modern day Ethiopia. This Ethiopia 
is just a few miles south of Egypt, present day Egypt, and just north of the Sudan. This region of the world was called Nubia. And this area, if you, if you Google search Nubia, ancient Nubia, you'll find that they had pyramids just like they did in Egypt. Cush, you'll find his names again, Ethiopia. Ethiopia is a Greek word that means burnt face. Means burnt people. This is the name that the Greeks gave to these people in Nubia. They called them Ethiopians because of their skin complexion. Mizarim or Misarim is Egypt. So when you see Mizarim, you'll mostly find it in the Table of Nations, but after that you'll find Egypt used, but, but you have Cush, Mizarim, Put, and Canaan. How many of you know where Canaan is? Where is Canaan? Canaan. Canaan land. Canaan land is Israel. Present day where Palestine is today. This was land that was inhabited by the son of Ham. And as you can see from these four sons, when you study your Old Testament and even your New Testament, you'll see them scattered all over the place in Scripture. Now, David, go to the next slide. I want you to see this map. You see all the area in green. Hello? All the area in green represents all the descendants of Ham. And if you can see how much territory covers what we call Africa today, that all of that land was inhabited by the descendants of Ham. And you see how far and wide it is from, from, from basically from North Africa all the way down to where present day Ethiopia is today. And you go as far wide as east all the way over to up top. And I'll talk about this next week, but if you go up the top here, you'll see all of Northern Africa, all of Northern Africa was inhabited by the descendants of Ham and the, that part of Africa We'll find out next week also featured very prominently uh, leading up to um, um, after Jesus and, and the influence that it had on the Reformation. But I want you to see where Mizarim, you see Mizarim, where the Nile River flows from the top north, flows all the way down. And the Nile River starts in northern uh, Egypt. It flows all the way down to the, the uh, to uh, Uganda, and it empties into a place called Lake Victoria, which is one of the largest lakes in the entire world. But I want you to give a get a sense of the scope and the breadth of the descendants of Ham and the impact that they had on the biblical world, not only in what we call present day Northern Africa, but I want you to look at the impact that they had in Arabia. And then all the way over in areas of Babylon, where, where you have Canaan, where the descendants of, uh, where, where, the, where the Jewish people ended up in Mount Sinai, you, they had a huge presence in Scripture. Are you with me? Next slide, please. Now, I want you to see now, looking at that slide, now you can see the other slide was, was an ancient 
look at where the descendants of Ham ended up. And now you can see the countries. You see Egypt. You see the Sudan. You see where Ethiopia present day is today. But what we're going to focus over the next couple of weeks, well, this week and next week, we're going to focus our attention primarily on Egypt. And the reason why we're going to focus our attention on Egypt is because of Egypt's role in the ancient world. The next slide, David. Now, the first thing we need to be very clear about, need to be very clear about, is where Egypt is located. Egypt is located in northern Africa. It's not in the Middle East. It never ceases to amaze me how often scholars work overtime to de-Africanize Egypt. They don't want Africa to be a part of Egypt. And if you've done any history, you should know why. You should know why, because of the strategic role that Egypt played as a superpower in the ancient world and because of the, the, the scientific advances, because people are still trying to figure out how did they build those pyramids? What technology did they use to build those pyramids? How did they do that? How did they come up with this, 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 this skill of embalming that was so predates the modern world? How did they do that? How did they come up with all the mathematical stuff that they came up with? Certainly no black people could do that. So you, you de-Africanize, and, 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 and I think it's true, people tell, history says that when Napoleon, when Napoleon went to Egypt, the reason why the Sphinx face has been defigured is because he shot the nose off. Because the, the face of, of, of the Sphinx had the broad Negroid nose. And Napoleon Bonaparte said there's no way Negroes could have done that. So we can shoot the face off to disfigure it so people won't even think that some African did that. Now, one of the problems today why people don't readily identify Egypt as being on the continent of Africa is because Egypt has been conquered several times by a number of powerful nations. Namely, Greece conquered them, Rome conquered them, but most notably The Muslims conquered Egypt. And so right now, the Muslim presence dominate Egypt. And so you don't really have, uh, probably more so in Egypt, the Arab influence has so changed the, the landscape of Egypt that people don't think or recognize that Egypt is, in fact, on the continent of Africa. And then all of the, 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 the political stuff is done to, again, in, to, to reinforce in the mind of the average person that Egypt is not on the continent of Africa. But we need to be clear. It's in the northeastern corner of Africa. The second point we need to have firmly established is that ancient Egypt played a great part in biblical history. The name Egypt occurs more than 750 times in Scripture. 
Pharaoh is used over 200 times in the Bible. And then the second thing we need to bear in mind is that the ancient Egyptians called themselves Kemet, meaning the black land or the black people of the land. If you ever run into some some Hebrew Israelites or some real strong folks, they're into the Kemetic religions or the Kemetic. They're studying Kemetic science. And brother, you know that Kemetic. You got to study that Kemetic stuff. You study, they're talking about Egypt. So if you hear anybody talking about Kemet or Kemetic, and you got a lot of brothers and sisters doing this now, my brother, no, nah, he's the honest name. He knows. That's what they're studying. They say, hey, we got to study that Kemetic science. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about Egypt and the, 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 the religion of, of Egypt is, is, is the, and, and the secret sciences that are found in Egypt. So that's what that's referring to. So we're going to talk about, next slide, and this is where I'm going to camp right now, next to the slide. We're going to talk about Africa and the patriarchs. Africa and the patriarchs. And as I said earlier, in God's plan of redemption, y'all with me? Y'all not? I can't. Y'all can't go to sleep. So if I'm, to, I'm trying not to yell, so I'm trying to stay calm, Reggie. But if I see you nodding off, nod, nod, I'm gonna start yelling. You take it? Okay. All right. So, so Africa and the patriarchs. In other words, what's the connection between the land of Africa? And the biblical patriarchs. And, and you know what I mean when I say patriarchs? Who I'm talking about? Who am I talking about? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These are the patriarchs. These are the, the significant guys used because God's ultimate goal was to form a nation of people that will be responsible for bringing the Messiah into the world, that he will entrust the covenants to that nation. That nation would also be responsible for sharing the good news about who God is, declaring the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so God's goal was to create a nation of people, to form a nation of people who would be responsible for that. But the question is, where did it start? Where did they come from? And so God's unfolding plan of redemption begins in roughly Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abraham. I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know, but I want to contextualize this and put this in the context and to emphasize where this took place. Because I think we missed the fact that everything that took place in the life of Abraham Stuff that took place in the life of Joseph and Jacob took place in Africa. So in Genesis chapter 12, you know, God tells Abraham, God calls Abraham. Abraham is in his hometown, his home country of Ur of the Chaldees. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to leave your family, leave your kindred, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Abraham leaves, and Abraham starts journeying, and Abraham ends up in the area called Canaan. But at some point, there is a great famine in the land, and Abraham ends up down in Egypt. 
Now, one of the things that you need to know about Egypt, now my Sunday school knows this, and that Egypt was called the breadbasket of the ancient world. And the reason why it was called the breadbasket of the ancient world is because of the Nile River. Every year the Nile River will overflow its banks and it will relieve, and once the, the, once the river receded, it left all of this rich topsoil that Egypt used to grow all kinds of produce and fruit and vegetation and grain that fed the entire ancient world. People came from all over the ancient world to come to Egypt in order to buy and get food. And so Egypt would ship food all the way around the Mediterranean to supply food to everybody. It was the breadbasket of the ancient world. So in Genesis chapter 12, the patriarch Abraham a famine has struck, and Abraham goes down to Egypt. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 and uh, in verse 10. You have it? Say amen. And verse 10 says that now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to where? To do what? To live there, to live there for a while, because the famine was what? Severe. Severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you are a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And when she was taken and she was taken into his palace, he treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you tell? I'm sorry. Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now, then here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to the men and sent him on his way and his wife and everything he had. Verse 1 of chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, which is the south, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. It's important. One of the things that God told Abraham when he left Ur of the Chaldees, God says, I will make your name great. Now, in the ancient world, in order for a male, for his name to be made great, he received the greatest portion of his dad's inheritance, especially if he was the firstborn. Abraham was the firstborn son of his father. God told Abraham, your father is not going to make you great. Your father is not going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you wealthy. Well, God began to fulfill that promise by sending Abraham down to Egypt. It was in Egypt 
that God began to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham of making his name great. Because the text says that when Abraham came out of Egypt, he was a very wealthy man. Where did he get the wealth? He got the wealth in Egypt. Pharaoh gave him a whole lot of wealth of camels and men servants and maid servants. And also while he was there, God sustained Abraham's life from the famine. I don't know how long Abraham stayed in Egypt, but the Bible says he went there to live for a while because the famine was very severe there. So the principal role that Egypt played in preserving the great patriarch, the father of the faith, the one who would be, he's, he's, he's the, um, Abraham was the father of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the beginning of it all of God's redemptive plan. So God says, I gotta sustain you. And where did he send him to sustain him? He sent him to Africa. And the Africans took care of Abraham. And I want you to fast forward to Genesis chapter 16. Because in Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16 is the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Now remember, in Genesis chapter 13, the text says that Abraham went up from Egypt and he became very wealthy. He had gold, silver, he had men servants and maid servants. One of the servants that Abraham had was an Egyptian woman named Hagar. God had promised Abraham that he was going to have a what? A son. But because both of them were past the age of having children, they decided they were going to help God out. And Sarah tells Abraham, look. Ain't nothing happening. So I tell you what you do. You take my maid servant and she's going to become your wife, too. And she'll raise up a child for us. Now, what's interesting about this. Now, we, we have a term today that's called biracial. Abraham's firstborn son was biracial. Because Abraham's firstborn son, mama was Egyptian. And Egyptians were Africans. So Abraham's first son, Ishmael, was, again, they didn't use the term biracial back then, but just so you understand, his mama was from Africa. His dad was from Ur of the Chaldees. Now, if you want to understand this a little deeper, Ur of the Chaldees is present-day Iraq. And, and all you got to do is look at the TV. When George W. When, when, when our nation under, under the Bush administration went to war with Iraq, and you saw all those photos of all those Iraqi people, Saddam Hussein, et cetera, what color were they? I'm not saying they were Africans, but they were brown-skinned people. So just do a little deduction of logic. Abraham, an Egyptian woman, Africa, that Ishmael. So Egypt provided Abraham his first son. 
He had African blood flowing through his veins. That's Ishmael. So now it gets even deeper. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 37. Now we're going to transition now from Abraham. Now, now the, the thing about Isaac, Isaac came after Abraham. Isaac didn't go to Egypt, but he was tempted to. In Genesis chapter uh, 17, there was another famine, Sister Kim. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Stay right where you are and sow in this land. In other words, plant in this land and I will bless you. But had not God said that to Isaac, Isaac also was going to go down to Egypt because Egypt was the place that God was using to sustain everybody. Remember, it's the breadbasket of the ancient world. Now, we fast forward to to Joseph. And I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know, but from chapters 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, you know where you are? You're in where? You're in Egypt. You're in Africa land from chapters 37, with the exception of that, with the exception of chapter 38, every single chapter, 37, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, and chapter 50, all have you on the continent of Africa, in the land of Egypt. Beginning in chapter 37, the text talks about Joseph, was 17 years old, when he begins to share these dreams with his parents, his brothers and his, his brothers about God had given him these dreams about, about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And his brothers were jealous of him because Joseph was the favorite son of Isaac because he was born to him because Joseph and Benjamin were the only two sons that was born to him by the woman that he really loved. And that was Rachel. All his other kids were born to the concubines and the uh, and and and, uh, and what was her name? And Leah. Yeah. But Rachel was his true love. She's the woman he worked for all those extra years. How many ladies love to have a man to work for you? Love you like that. Oh, that brother worked. He worked for. And so his love for. Joseph and Benjamin were illustrated in the fact that these were the only two kids that came through Rachel's loins. Boom. He loved those two boys. And he wasn't afraid to show it, which caused a whole lot of dysfunction in the family. Because it became, he, he, his, his, his favoritism was on display against the rest of the boys. And so I'm going to fast forward the story because you know the story. The brother's jealous. He sends Joseph to go find the brothers while they're feeding, this, while they're grazing the sheep. And they say, here comes this dreamer. They put Joseph in a, a cistern. They sell Joseph into what slavery? Egyptian slavery. They concoct this, this lie and tell Isaac that he's dead. No, I'm sorry, Jacob. They tell Jacob that Joseph is dead. Joseph is taken down to Egypt at the age of 17. Once he gets there, Joseph becomes the servant of Potiphar, who was a, a guard who worked for Pharaoh. 
And the Bible says that God was with him while he was in Egypt. And, of course, you know the story. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife who wanted him to get intimate with him, but Joseph refused to do so. Joseph was placed in prison. And then later on, a baker and uh, what's the other one? The, the butcher and the baker? The, the cupbearer. I <laughs> said the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. <laughs> I didn't get in the text. But the cupbearer, the cupbearer and, 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 the, and, the, and the baker, they have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. They both get out. They forget about Joseph. Then Pharaoh has these dreams about uh, cows and about uh, grain. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And as a result of that, Joseph gets elevated. He's called the prince of Egypt. He becomes the ruler over Egypt. At 30 years of old age. So you do the math. How long has Joseph been in Egypt? 13 years he's been in, in Egypt. And it, right before Joseph was elevated to being the ruler of Egypt, Joseph married an Egyptian woman. Her name was Asenath. He had two boys by this Egyptian woman. You know what their names were? What's it, what? Okay, Manasseh is one. Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh, two sons of Joseph, born to him by a Egyptian woman. And if you look on your Bible maps, when you look at how the nation of Israel was distributed when Joshua went into the land, you'll find the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. They became a part of the nation. So he marries. And true to form, as Joseph said, there was a famine that hit Egypt as well as the surrounding countryside. Jacob sent his boys down to Egypt. And you know the story, the drama between Joseph and his brothers. His brothers go down. They, they, they're seeking food. And the Bible says that the famine was severe, that it wasn't. Uh, just in Egypt, it was all the way up into Canaan. And so now people have to go back down to Egypt again in order to sustain themselves. Jacob sends his sons down into Egypt to buy food so that they could sustain. Joseph sees them. And again, you know the story. You know what happened. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And then you have this back and forth between Joseph and his brothers. Eventually, Joseph had them to go back and get Benjamin and bring him back. And then the clock keeps ticking. But now, here's some things I want you to see. Uh, turn to... How much time I got? I'm going to hurry up and finish up. Um, old type. Uh, And look at the verse I want. Look at Genesis chapter 45. And believe it or not, I'm almost done. 
But then they laughed. Genesis chapter 45, look at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into where? Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be not there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is part of God's overall plan of redemption. God says, Joseph said, God has God sent me here. God sent me here. The here is Egypt. God sent me to Africa for the express purpose of saving lives because of all of the circumstances that were going on. You had these famines and people dying, but God would not allow his promise to Abraham to fall. And so he sent Joseph ahead into the land of Africa for the purpose of preserving God's plan, which was God's plan of redeeming humanity. And that plan started with Abraham. It continued on with Isaac. And now we're with Jacob. And God says, I will not allow my plan to fall. So I'm going to preserve your life. I'm going to send one of your brothers down to Egypt to prepare the way because you guys are going to be coming here as well. Africa will serve as the incubator in the formation of this nation that will be called Israel. So as we keep going. So then verse eight, Joseph says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord over the entire household of the ruler of all Egypt. Drop down to verse nine. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord over all what? Come down to me. Don't delay. You will live in the region of Goshen and be near to me. You, your children and grandchildren and flocks and herds and all have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all you belong to will become destitute. So you got to come down here. You got to come down here where God's provision is. You got to come down here where God is going to preserve the life of this nation. You got to come down to Africa. God sent me ahead to get this done. Now, look at verse 16. When the news, are you there? Same chapter 45. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials, say all his officials. They were what? They were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the what? The what? The what? The best. 
Say the best. I will give you the best of the land. I missed my place. Where am I? Oh, is it? Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the lamb. You are also to direct, you're also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for all your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your stuff there. Because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. The best. Don't worry about packing up your stuff. You can leave all your clothes. You can leave your shoes. Just take what's on your back and let's go because I got you when you get here. Because the best of Egypt is going to be for you. God is preserving them. Now. I need for you to flip a little further, and I promise you, we're getting close. Turn to Genesis chapter 47. And look at verse 27. You have it? Now, the Israelites, say the Israelites. The who? The who? The Israelites settled where? They settled in Egypt. Egypt is where? Egypt is where? Who settled in Egypt? Who are the Israelites? Who are the Israelites? Abraham's children, God's chosen people that will become God's chosen people. These are the, and, and the Israelites will become the nation through whom the Messiah would come. God is the one who's sovereignly orchestrating everything going on in the formation of this nation, including them being in Africa. Now, the Israelites settled in Egypt, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Now, look at verse 28. Jacob lived in Egypt. How many years? 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. He spent 17 years, he spent the last years of his life where? In Egypt. Turn to... Verse... Turn to chapter 50. And we'll we'll be almost done. This is this is all foundational for next week. Jacob has lived a long life and he's about to die. And I just want to see I want you to see what the beauty of this this passage. Look at verse twenty nine of chapter forty nine. And then we'll come into chapter 50. Verse 29 of chapter 49. And then we'll, we'll, we'll work our way into chapter 50. 
Jacob is giving instructions and he says, I'm about to gather to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephraim, the Hittite, who was also uh, a descendant of Ham. The cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephraim, the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave with it uh, were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and gathered to his people. Does this mean he died? And he died in Africa. Verse 50, chapter 50. Joseph drew himself to his father, wept over him, and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to what? Embalm his father, Israel. Now, we studied some of this in our Sunday school class. Jewish tradition, Jews, ancient Jews didn't embalm. If you, if you recall from just studying the Gospels, that when Jesus died, they wrapped him in, they wrapped him and they also put spices on him. And the spices were primarily to keep the scent down. Jesus was buried the exact same day within hours after his death. They didn't wait. But the Egyptians had a very intricate process of, of embalming that led to mummification. And last week, Sister Bryant told us that they used some kind of a device that would... That would pull their brains out. That they would go up and pull their brains out for, for the mummification process. But I want you to see that here Jacob, one of the patriarchs, who's died in Egypt, who's embalmed by the Egyptians. He goes through a, 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 a funeral service or a burial, preparation for burial, much like the Egyptians. And then verse, so the physicians embalmed him, taking a full, how many days? Forty days, for that was the time required for embalming. That's a long time. And they were going, now watch this, though. And the Egyptians what? Mourned. For how long? They mourned for Jacob. Forty days. I'm sorry, 70 days. Verse 4, when the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and say, and said, Am I, uh, uh, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and watch this, all of Pharaoh's officials accommodated, accompanied him. The dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt. Can you imagine what kind of funeral that was? That all the Egyptians, Pharaoh's officials, dignitaries, 
accompanying Joseph. They all leaving the continent of Africa, going back up into the, the land of Palestine that we call Palestine today to bury one of the patriarchs. Besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and all those belonging to his father's household, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen all went up with him. It was a very large company. Drop down to verse 14. After burying his father, Joseph returned to where? Together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. So Joseph went back to Egypt. I drop down to verse 22. Joseph stayed in where? Along with all his what? Father's family. He lived 110 years. He lived 110 years and saw the third generations of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Mekar, son of Manasseh, were placed at Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, flip over, we're almost at the end. I'm about to die. So now if Joseph was 110 what time, when did he go into Egypt? He was 17. How long did he live in Egypt? 93 years. His whole life was shaped by the Egyptians. His whole worldview, whole way of life was shaped by this continent. But God will surely come to you. I'm finishing up in verse 24. But God will surely come to you. Come to your aid and take you up out this land to the land he promised and owed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. In verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin. Where? In Africa. In Egypt. Now here's what I want to end with is this. When, when Jacob went down to Egypt, him and his 12 sons and all their families, there were 70 people. 70 people. Now based on Biblical history, the Bible says that they stayed in Egypt for over 400 years. Seventy people started in Goshen on the continent of Africa. Africa took that tiny seed that tiny group of people. And, and in the ensuing years, God would nurture this people 
who would become the nation of Israel. But that nation of people had their origin in Africa. God used Africa as kind of the the incubator to nurture and to grow. Because next week when we when we look in the book of Exodus, we'll see that the Bible says that over a million people left Egypt during the Passover or during the Exodus. So you went from 70 people to over a million people that were sustained for over 400 years on the continent of Africa. Africa in redemptive history. And this is just the beginning. There's more to come. I believe that God is not done with Africa. I believe that God will almost end where he began. That Africa played a significant role. Again, we're not done. All throughout the remainder of the Old Testament, you will see the continent of Africa play a predominant role in the life and the preservation of the nation of Israel. And then, as we'll see next week, Africa once again became a refuge for the Messiah. Because Jesus also, as the prophetic word says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Africa in redemptive history. Now, I know this may not make you shout and holler and all that thing like that, but, but Pastor might say we want to give a black history lesson. But it's a different kind of a black history lesson. I, I, I want you, we, we know about the, the civil rights movement, which is great. We know about some stuff, but we need to back up a bit because our history just didn't begin when we got here. And I know for me, and I'm going to end, well, for me, when I became a Christian, I had to see myself in this book. God just shows you that God used the nation of that we call today Africa. It's not an afterthought in the mind of God. It's not a dark continent as people would have us to believe. It's not filled with savages, people running around that don't know their, uh, their you know, their, their nose from their, their face or whatever. No. It's a very enlightened people. And the land featured prominently in the plan of God. God, you know, could have used any nation, any part of the world to give birth to the nation of Israel. But God used Egypt. The land that was called by the Egyptians Kemet. The land of the black people. To nurture and to protect and to preserve God's chosen people. Let's pray.